baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley and spring has officially sprung. Pitchers and catchers have reported and baseball activities are once again happening both in Florida and out in Arizona. But for most of the listeners of this podcast, it's what the Atlanta Braves are doing that really piques our interest. And they've got a camp full of players getting themselves ready for the exhibition opener. That's our next countdown. That will happen on February the 22nd. So just over a week away, the Braves will be playing some exhibition games and we will have baseball back very, very soon. We'll get into all of that, what's going on in Braves camp, and of course, many other things happening across the world of baseball. Bill Rowland will join me in just a little while as we go through not nine of the biggest stories from the last week, but just a handful of the biggest stories. Of course, the Mookie Betts trade, baseball maybe changing the playoffs. I know that a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about that. We'll share ours. And then, of course, the Houston Astros were once again making headlines, and once again, they were not good headlines. So we'll get into all of that when Bill joins me in just a little while. Before we do that, though, I want to remind you, as always, you can subscribe to From the Diamond. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews appreciated. Keep those rolling in. And be sure you're following along on social media. You can find the show on Twitter at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can also find Bill Rowland on Twitter at Bill Rowland, B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D. Over on Instagram, follow the show at From the Diamond with no underscore on the end. And I am at Grant McCauley as well. Of course, this past week was a big one over on Instagram. I did a Braves giveaway for some baseball cards and a signed Adam Duvall 8x10. Congratulations to Jake Tilly for being the winner. It was really simple. All you had to do was follow me on Instagram, like the post, and I just pick a random winner. We'll be doing it again sometime soon, probably before opening day. I'm going to try to come up with something extra special as the Braves get the 2020 season started just over a month from now. So I'll think on that, but make sure you're following along on Instagram for the giveaways and, of course, all the other baseball photos and videos that I'll have coming your way on a regular basis. As for everything else, you can find that at FromTheDiamond.com. Every episode of the show is there, and also my Braves positional preview series for 2020. That is now complete. It's a five-parter. I tried to write a little bit or a lot bit about each of the Braves who are in camp this year. 68 players as of now, and each of those breakdowns is by positions. So there's one on the bullpen, one on the rotation, one on the catchers, one on the infielders, and, of course, one on the outfielders. Five parts, a lot of info there. It's kind of how I do my research for the season. Love sharing it with you guys, and I think this makes eight consecutive years that I've done this Braves positional preview series A lot of folks seem to enjoy it. I enjoy writing it, and I'm happy to share it with you because, again, it's just one of those rites of passage in the spring as we get a little bit closer to Braves baseball. And We've got pitchers and catchers in camp. We've got exhibition games right around the corner. Lots of good stuff is happening. And, of course, lots of good stuff is happening always at FromTheDiamond.com. I want to throw out one more plug for something going on this coming week. It's a hot stove gathering 
at Dale Murphy's Restaurant at the Cobb Galleria over by Cumberland, just up the street from Truist Park. So if you're in the area, we'd love to have you on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Murph's. I'll be joined by Jim Powell and Bill Shanks. And Dale Murphy, of course, will be hosting a little bit of a, a gathering we're calling The Hot Stove is Still Burning. So it'll be a lot of fun talking about the Braves' outlook for 2020. I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of other baseball topics. I would imagine the Houston Astros might come up as well. We'll get Murph's thoughts on that. Should be a lot of fun with Jim and with Bill and, of course, with Dale Murphy. And quite an honor for me to have the opportunity to share a stage with those guys, and especially Murph, who, as a young kid growing up a Braves fan, pretty cool to spend some time with Dale Murphy and also a pretty good place to grab some food and drinks. That's over at Murph's. You can get more information on this by going to the website eatatmurfs.com. And reservations are what they're recommending for this, so I imagine space is limited. 770-612-3356 is how you can reserve your spot. It's $25. There will be heavy hors d'oeuvres and drinks included. And, of course, they have a bar as well, so you can enjoy a couple hours of baseball talk, some food, some drinks, and spend a little bit of time with Dale Murphy and friends. February the 18th, that's this Tuesday at 7 p.m., $25 per person. More info at eatatmurfs.com. With all of that out of the way, let's take a look at the week that was for the Atlanta Braves. As I mentioned, pitchers and catchers are now in camp. They reported to Northport on Wednesday, and there are 68 players who are set to be in Braves camp this spring. First workout already in the books, and they're already working out again as I sit here recording this podcast on a Friday morning. Everyone showed up in the best shape of their life, except, unfortunately, for Cole Hamels, the Braves veteran left-hander who signed over the offseason Suffered a shoulder injury while working out. It was a medicine ball or weighted ball activity, and he is not going to be able to open the regular season. So an IL stint in his future. Braves, though, hopeful that just taking some time here and letting Hamels get himself healthy, they'll have him back sooner than later. But they are going to give him time to rest about three weeks before they ramp him up to get going for the spring. Let's hear from Braves manager Brian Snitker, who offered a little bit of insight on what exactly is going on with Cole Hamels and what the Braves are expecting going forward. Cole Hamels is going to be behind. He irritated his arm doing some weighted ball exercises over the course of the winter, and so that's so going to set him behind. It's nothing I don't think is going to be major. We'll reevaluate him in like three weeks and, and see where he's at. Right now he's home in Dallas doing you know some exercises and things like that, so I hope. It's nothing, you know, big. He's feeling better. and But he right now, but other than that, everybody else is kind of right on time. General Manager Alex Anthopoulos was the one who provided the timeline of what exactly the injury means for Hamels not being ready to start the regular season. Yeah, he told us that um, he's not concerned. And uh, right now, we just told give it three weeks to calm down and get reevaluated and hopefully start a progression at that point. But obviously... Being a starter, you're starting a progression, long toss, bullpens, innings, all that's going to take time. So even if at that point things are great and he's ready to start, at that point to be built up as a starter, that you know he wouldn't have time. So some unfortunate news regarding Cole Hamels, but something the Braves are hoping won't be too serious and won't cost him too much time, though he will begin the season on the injured list, according to Alex Anthopoulos. There was also a transaction for the Braves this week. On Wednesday, as the Braves were reporting to camp, they signed a minor league deal with right-hander Josh Tomlin, who, of course, was a member of the 2019 club. He will get a minor league deal with an invite to big league camp. Tomlin posted a 374 ERA last year, made 51 appearances, just shy of 80 innings, only seven walks for Josh Tomlin, 51 strikeouts for him. Just, a, I think, a really good long man when he was needed. He was able to come in, give the Braves some pretty big innings last year, and Losing Cole Hamels, I don't know if that really factors into this decision at all, but having as much pitching depth as you can possibly have, nothing but a good thing. Braves have really revamped that bullpen, but bringing back in another veteran to have just in case something goes sideways, 
that's a pretty good thing. And Josh Tomlin certainly earned another look with what he did last year for the Braves. So that's what's happening in Braves camp. We await position players reporting on Monday. And then the first workout will happen on Tuesday. And then that exhibition opener in Northport, that's going to happen on February the 22nd against the Baltimore Orioles. In case you're wondering, that will be televised. So you'll be able to see the spring training opener for the Braves that, again, is on February the 22nd. So that's what's going on with the Atlanta Braves. But now it's time to focus on some of the other things that have happened across the world of Major League Baseball. And we're going to get to the Houston Astros. I promise you that because I know we both have a lot of thoughts about this. But I want to welcome Bill Rowland into the show. We're going to cover a couple of other things before we get there. But, Bill, each and every week we like to find the nine biggest stories across baseball to have a starting nine, an entire lineup. But every once in a while... You just kind of have to go, I guess, maybe just three up and three down or just have a one, two, three inning. And we're going to have ourselves a one, two, three inning today. Yeah, there's plenty. Uh, we could do a starting probably 10, 20, 30 with, with everything that's going on with Major League Baseball. But good to be back with you again. Grant, again, uh, happy Valentine's Day weekend to everybody. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. Let's get going. All right. Well, let's jump into it. And let's start out in Los Angeles, where, of course, the Mookie Betts trade has been the big news for a little while now. But a few things happened since the last time we spoke here on From the Diamond. I love blockbuster trade, so we're going to start with this. And it was originally a three-team deal. That's how it was reported. But that kind of fell apart. The Minnesota Twins dropped out of that, ended up making a separate deal with the Dodgers, which we can cover later. But Betts and David Price going from the Red Sox to the Dodgers. Boston's going to pay half the freight on David Price's contract, which is $96 million for the next three years. So $48 million goes along with them, and three prospects will be heading over to Boston. Alex Verdugo is initially reported, but Jeter Downs also going to be involved in this deal, as well as a catching prospect. So, Bill, it's kind of the same deal, just a little bit different. And, of course, the Dodgers and Twins made the separate Kinta Maeda trade a little bit later, but... This was kind of what we expected, and of course, Mookie Betts going to Los Angeles is what everybody's been waiting for, I guess. Yeah, and and that's what the Red Sox were trying to do is move Betts in price. I don't think, I mean, they made a big stink about the prospect they were supposed to be getting back from the Twins, and that's why it fell apart, and then they redid the deal. But let's be honest, as we've talked about in the past, they didn't get full value for what Mookie Betts is worth because they also had the Dodgers tag in you know, David Price and his contract, even though they're paying $48 million of that of that money that he's owed, it gets them underneath the competitive tax. So they'll be able to then restart in 2021 and 2022 and start looking to sign free agents again. They just want to get under that, that tax level so they can hit the reset button on it. So 2020 may not be a great year for the Red Sox. I think they're going to struggle. They may be a 500 team, but they've got a big hole in their lineup and now they've got a big hole and their starting rotation. The Dodgers clearly won this trade, and they are the overall overwhelming favorites to win the National League West, the National League, and probably the World Series. Yeah, I mean, this is a power move by the Los Angeles Dodgers who have needed to, I think, address the last couple of years, have to have left a bad taste in their mouth because, yeah, they lost the World Series a couple of times, but the manner in which they lost the World Series, not once but twice, has to be floating around in the back of their heads as they showed up for spring training. So to get this deal done, right before you head to camp, has to give them a real boost for feeling like, hey, they already had a good team, but you're going out and getting one of the top players in the entire sport. You're getting a pitcher with a good pedigree like David Price, who may not be in the prime of his career anymore at 34 years old, but you're also not paying him a ton, $16 million a year for a pitcher like that. That's a pretty good deal, but Betts is that piece that when you put him with Cody Bellinger and put him in that Dodger lineup, 
you have to feel like, as you pointed out, that this is going to make the Dodgers the team that can win it all. And on the flip side for the Red Sox, as you mentioned, John Henry said back at the end of last season, which started to, I guess, maybe confirm that Mookie Betts' future in Boston was uh, probably drawing to a close, that the team did want to get back under that competitive balance threshold, and they were pretty much under orders to move the money, and that's what they've done. And we'll see what this does to the long-term viability of Boston as a contender in the East. But it's not like they're going to stop completely spending money, but this was another aspect of what we talked about last week, that even the rich clubs are now looking at some of the financial ins and outs of the way that baseball is set up. And I don't know that it's necessarily the best thing for the players when it comes to some of it and motivating these teams to spend the money that they're getting as well. When you talk about the competitive balance tax, that's a whole nother thing. So it's strange to see a club like the Red Sox not necessarily crying poor, but not necessarily spending the way that they can. Yeah, I don't think they're going to necessarily cry poor. They're just going to cry that they don't want to spend 20, 30, 40 million dollars beyond what they spend in payroll. So they hit a reset button every few years and then they'll go back to spending again. I think in 2021, whoever the free agents are, and I haven't looked that far ahead to, to see who they might be interested mm-hmm. in, but they're certainly going to be in the mix for big time free agents at that point. And, and David Price, we talk about Mookie Betts, obviously was the key to this trade and is going to be helpful to the Dodgers. But David Price in this deal, as you mentioned, only costing the Dodgers 16 a year for over the next three years. He doesn't see the Yankees now, you know, 19 times for yeah. his team. So maybe right. he gets four starts against them. He doesn't see Tampa Bay for four starts. And, and that great lineup that Toronto has, the National League overall, and especially in the NL West, is a much easier division to pitch against than the AL East. That's just oh, facts. Sure. So he now goes to the best hitting team in his division. I would not be shocked if you see David Price – Healthy is always the the key word there. A healthy David Price win 15, 16, 17 games next year, and everybody's going to go, wow, what a steal that the Dodgers got. The competition is not going to be as deep or as good. And again, not even the teams. You're taking away the DH and having a pitcher. It makes it much easier for David Price to have a pitcher to face two, three times a game rather than a DH. Yeah, and I mean, that's a huge difference. And also, as you mentioned, I was kind of chuckling because you said he didn't have to face the Yankees anymore. That's been a team that's had his number of late as well. So I'm sure he doesn't miss that. And the teams that he's going to be facing, there will be, I'm sure, some tough nights. Arizona's a much improved club. A trip to Coors Field can always be something that's not so much fun for a pitcher. And there are some other ups and downs, I should say, over the course of a season where it may not be your night. But when you are facing the National League lineups with the pitcher, as you mentioned, that has to be a little bit of an advantage for David Price, especially considering he comes from that American League East pressure cooker of a lot of good lineups and a lot of good teams. And for David Price, for a lot of years as well, because he was in Mm -hmm. Tampa Bay. He ended up in Toronto, made that pit stop, of course, with the Tigers, but then ended up with the Red Sox. So most of his career has been spent out there. So when you go back and look at the overall success of David Price, he did it in a place and for teams that were going to face some pretty stiff competition. So, yeah, I think he should maybe level up a little bit, if you can call it that, from what he's done the last couple of years, if, in fact, he is healthy. And that, of course, has been a big question as well. I think last year, what was it, 22 starts for David Price? Dodgers really want to see 29 or 30 starts out of him to really feel like they're kind of getting even their version of the money's worth. Oh, no question, especially losing some of the other guys in their rotation. They can't afford him to be a 140, 150 inning type of guy. Now, he's not going to throw 230, 
But if he can get close to 180, 190, push towards 200, they're going to feel like they got themselves a pretty good deal. Again, only paying him $16 million out of their pocket uh, for over the next three years. Most definitely. So the Dodgers got their man. They got Mookie Betts. They also got David Price. And the Boston Red Sox got, I guess, the salary relief that they were looking for and ended up moving a generational player. And to kind of put a bow on this discussion, we talked about it a little bit last week, but I know I saw some articles that discussed the kinds of seasons that Mookie Betts had in a Red Sox uniform. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the likes of Kari Stremski and Ted Williams. I mean, these are the kind of names when you look at greatest single seasons, not just in wins above replacement, but big numbers and stuff that not too many guys do. Mookie Betts has a kind of a special place in Boston Red Sox history, especially being a guy that was part of a World Series winning team. Well, and that's the big thing. He he brought them a title. I mean, he was a big part of them winning that World Series uh, when they did. So you you look at all the things that he did. You mentioned the, the incredible seasons that he had. I think he has two of the top ten now yeah. in Red Sox history when you look at the war and some other things that they look at. So, yeah, he, I mean – He's a guy that's going to be missed. Now, there are some folks that are trying to spin this as best they can and basically saying, yeah, but he's a guy who depends on his legs and he's getting up there towards 30. And, you know, will they really have that many more good years? I mean, that's just people trying to talk themselves into this being a good move for the Red Sox when you look at the financials. But look, he may not have stuck around anyway. They they would have had a first shot at trying to re-sign him, but he was going to hit free agency regardless so they may not have gotten anything out of this deal. Who knows how good Jeter Downs and Connor Wong are going to be in the long run, uh, The two, a couple of the prospects that came up from the Dodgers, but they are probably better than the draft picks that you would have gotten if Mookie Betts had walked after the end of 2020 uh, being in a Red Sox uniform. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And as we talked about with Mookie Betts a week ago, a lot of different things, but in particular his free agency and the compensation that you were going to get just being a draft pick, This was a guy who was determined, I think, to get to free agency and to test the waters of free agency and a guy that should be expecting a $300 million contract. So there was no guarantee the Red Sox were going to have him sticking around beyond this year anyway. So making this move preemptive or otherwise, motivated by the salary of David Price or whatever the case may be, a lot of different pieces in play, but it is kind of sad to see great players that, you know, used to have a better chance of sticking around, I would say, with the financial aspects of baseball today, it seems like teams are kind of motivated to trade those guys before they can even hit free agency. So it does change the course of, I think, a lot of franchises and perhaps a lot of careers. But uh, that's what's going on with Mookie Betts and the Dodgers and, of course, the Red Sox for whom he was playing. And now he is reported out to Arizona to enjoy his first spring training in Dodger Blue. Meanwhile, this may not happen anytime soon. It may be a year or two. It may have to do with a collective bargaining agreement coming up because that will have to be a factor for it. But Major League Baseball, it was reported this week, is considering expanding the playoffs to nearly half of the 30 teams in baseball, allowing for a lot of interesting caveats. Let's call them that. And this was first reported by the New York Post. Ten clubs currently make the postseason bill. Fourteen would make it under the new plan, including four wild cards. And it's at that point where it starts to get a little bit convoluted because the division winner with the best regular season record would advance directly to the NLDS. Uh, the other two division winners and wildcard teams would be playing some best of three series. And then you've got the televised selection show in which they'll go an order of seeds, picking the team that they want to play with the division winners and the wild cards. And you get the idea. If you've seen this report, you know that there's a lot of moving parts to this. 
and it's a little bit absurd. But let me ask you this, absurd being kind of an understatement for this, from the initial fan reaction and even some of the player reaction, Bill, I don't really see this thing having wings, so to speak. Grant, you hit it right in the head. It's funny, uh, as as we were talking about this, and I'm looking at stuff before the show, and you use the word absurd, and that's the exact word that Trevor Bauer used <laughs> on Twitter yeah. in a tweet that was directed at Rob Manford. He said, this is absurd. So, yeah, you talk about the players not liking it, fans not liking it. You want to expand the playoffs? I'm actually, I'm not going to be completely against it. More teams in the playoffs means more interest down the stretch, and that's fine. If you get more eyes on baseball, I'm one of the people that think, especially in the series, the way they're going to do it, where if you have home field in that first round, all three are in your ballpark. Now, baseball doesn't have as big as a home field advantage as other sports, but it's still an advantage. So you know what? I I would be okay if you want to expand it out. I get it. But this idea of a selection show where I guess you'd have, I don't know, the GM or the manager of, of say – Tampa Bay is trying to pick between, okay, are we going to play uh, the A's or do we want to play Seattle? It's it's just yeah. dumb. Just dumb. Just do higher seed and go. If you want to expand the playoffs, do it that way. That's fine. I like the idea that it's three games and not a one and done. That's cool because then you don't have like a dominant pitcher or one guy just has one bad game and your whole season after 162 games is just blown up. At least you'd have a, a couple other chances So I'm okay with that. But this whole idea of thinking that some selection show is going to create buzz, they're just going to get made fun of. They're just going to look. People are just going to be like, this is dumb. Why are you doing it? Yeah, I would imagine just in terms of overall sporting and sports entertainment and and things of both, because I am a, a bit of a wrestling fan, this to me does not, that selection show, have even the legitimacy of the Royal Rumble winner showing up and declaring which title he wants to fight for come WrestleMania. I just do not see this as being a, it it doesn't feel organic whatsoever. It it just feels thrown together solely to kind of generate buzz, as you mentioned, but I I think it's going to generate more negative press and that's bearing out with the way that this whole thing has been treated thus far in terms of public perception and even the player perception, because, Hey, let's stop for a second. And you brought up Trevor Bauer Not too often do I feel like I see players just going off on the commissioner of their sport while they are still an active participant in that sport. I mean, and that's the age of social media. We live in that. And, of course, the criticisms of Rob Manfred or just Major League Baseball in general, there's a lot of those, and they come from a lot of different sources. But it didn't take very long for people to start shooting holes in this whole thing. And one of the other things that I heard about this, and I'd be interested to get your take on it, is, yeah, you allow more teams to get into the playoffs, but – is it necessarily going to cause more teams to spend more money? Or are you going to just start seeing teams being happy with a wild card appearance and that's kind of it and being able to keep their salaries at a level in which they never really escalate, so to speak? I mean, could it depress spending money has been a legitimate discussion that people are having. Yeah, and I think that there is some there is some truth to that, I would imagine, because I've seen a lot of people talk about, especially with this selection thing, that, look, if you're the lowest wild card team you don't get a home game right so are you really really incentivized now it could work both ways that okay now down the stretch instead of playing meaningless games because you wouldn't have been the the sixth or seventh seed because there isn't one going into the playoffs well now if you're sitting there in six and you think well we've got to get to at least four and we get three playoff games maybe you make that extra push maybe you do try uh to spend a little bit more maybe you do make that trade now in late July to make sure that you are in that position. 
Whereas if you're the seventh seed, you're going on the road for three and hoping that you can make your way back. So I get, again, both sides of it. You can sell the T-shirts if you made the playoffs and, and you know all that stuff. Even if you don't get a home game, you'll make a little bit of revenue. But I do agree of those people that have said, hey, this is just going to make it so that you can be close to a 500 team and be in the playoff hunt and your fans will be okay with it. And you don't have to spend another 10, 15, $20 million on a star player to make sure that you get to the fourth or third seed. Look, the Yankees are still going to spend money. We know that. The Red Sox, the Dodgers, the teams that spend are still going to spend trying to get the top overall seed and to get that buy, you know, into the NLDS. But other teams, you know, a franchise like St. Louis, are they going to start spending a little bit more money? Franchise where you are in Atlanta, are mm-hmm. they going to start spending some more money? I think some of them will. It really depends on who your owner is, to be quite honest. It really does. And another thing that I've looked at beyond just whatever impact it's going to have on the playoff format itself being completely revamped and changing the amount of teams that can get in and how much those teams are incentivized, to use your word, to spend and to compete at a higher level than they have in the past. But also, let's think about baseball as the 162-game marathon that it is. I'm not sure that this doesn't do some damage to the point of having a 162-game season, number one. And number two baseball is kind of a momentum sport in which you play every day. And sure, you'll take a day off. Maybe two days off would be nice. But if you have the top seeds sitting around for by the time you've traveled and if there's a game 163 or who knows what else that could possibly happen, if you have a team that sits around for five or six days not playing, that's not necessarily looked upon as an advantage in baseball. That's looked upon as standard operating procedure in football when you play on Sundays. Baseball, though, you don't want to sit around for an entire week after your season, basically, and not play a game. I just feel like that absolutely kills momentum. And right off the top of my head, I can think of a couple of World Series just in the last couple of decades that teams that were really hot swept their way through the postseason, had to wait on a longer series to finish, had to sit around and think about it for four or five days and not play actual games, and it did not help them. And in particular, I look at that Rockies team that lost to the Red Sox in the World Series uh, back in 2007. That's a great point. That's a great point. And you will have guys sitting around. And as you said, at the end of the year, uh, when especially as far as pitchers go, the the arms may be, you know, in a nice groove. And then all of a sudden you're sitting six, seven, eight, nine days in between starts and you get a little rusty. Um, That's a great point. Uh, The other thing is, I think you will see, or I would hope anyway, that maybe Major League Baseball would draw back to 154 games which yeah. would make sense. Mm-hmm. And with the extra TV revenue that makes up for those home games, the four home games that each team would be missing out on, I think you can rev share that through with the extra rounds of playoffs that you have, the extra playoff games that you have. I think the money would be there as far as the ownership. And let's be honest, that's all they're going to worry about if you start adding in these extra rounds of playoffs because you don't want to be playing baseball November 15th, Correct. if you're a team like the Red Sox or the Yankees in the Northeast, you could get snowed out. Yeah, it could absolutely Colorado. Yeah, I mean, there are so many different aspects in play here that I I mentioned that on Twitter as well about the 154-game season. Didn't see anything in the reports that initially indicated that they would cut the regular season back. But if you're playing a three-day series or three-game series, and if you do it, say, in three straight days, and that's fine. And like you said, the wild card doesn't get a home game at all. But you still have to travel there, play the series, travel home, and then travel to the next city. So we're talking about five or six days minimum with the way that round's going to work. And for the top team, I just, again, don't think an advantage is, hey, how would you like to sit out for a week while everybody else is playing? I just don't see that as something that's going to 
really entice teams because I think it's as much or more of a hindrance to have to sit out like that than anything else. But uh, kind of wrapping up the thoughts on this before we really transition into our main event of the evening, to go back to that particular analogy, right now in the other major sports, 12 of the 32 NFL teams reached the playoffs as 38%. 16 of the 30 teams in the NBA, that's 53% if you're scoring at home. And I cannot be alone, and I'm sure I'm not, about the comically <laughs> long postseason that the NBA has that feels nearly as long as their regular season. Baseball does not want any part of that. And 16 of right now is 31 teams in the NHL, but they're going to have a 32nd franchise next year. So 50%, let's say, of the NHL teams also make the playoffs. But I just don't look at this as something in baseball where it should so much be about how do the teams get to the playoffs. I just want the playoffs to make sense when we get there. And selection shows and uh, random stuff like that just really doesn't move the needle for me. And they don't do it in any of these other sports, do they? Uh, No, although I have seen a couple columnists say that they like the idea and they love to see the NBA adopt it. And I just go have at it. If you want to do that, have at it because I think it's just crazy. Now, of course, people are going to look at you and I, Grant, and say you're probably yelling at the kids to get off your lawn as well because this is the this is where things are going. But it just it's it just is too contrived. Uh, to make any sense. Why don't we just have people, you know, vote or, you know, do a Twitter poll and that's how you decide the matchups because, hey, that's what the fans want. They're the ones voting on it. Do it like, you know, American Idol or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I again, that, that's the kind of things that we, it feels like, and maybe that's an oversimplification or an exaggeration, if you will, about how this is going to go, but I just don't see this particular iteration of a playoff revamp happening in the manner in which it was presented, but could some elements of it be in play? We could find out, is it better for more teams to make the playoffs? I don't know. Maybe the jury's out on that. I mean, we've come a long way from, hey, win the pennant and go straight to the World Series, which is what baseball was for so long, until divisional play came in in the late 60s. And then, of course, it's just kind of magnified out since then or multiplied out. And with the advent of the one-game wild card back in 2012, that's brought us to the format we have right now with 10, we'll call them 10 playoff teams in each league, even if for one of those playoff teams in each league, their playoff is going to last exactly one game. So be that as it may, there could be some things changing up in the playoffs and uh, worth keeping an eye on, but not something we have to worry about in the fall of 2020. However, in the spring of 2020, we get to continue worrying about the Houston Astros. Their team owner, Jim Crane, finally held what I'm calling his big accountability day down in West Palm Beach, and it turned out to be anything but accountability on display yesterday for Houston. Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve presented very generic, scripted-style apologies, and then Crane took center stage, essentially apologizing for as little as possible and attempting to gaslight anyone who witnessed this debacle into a completely mind-numbing and tone-deaf narrative of leaning heavily on the commissioner's report number one, speaking out against the idea of punishing the players, number two, which was how the commissioner got a report, and then downplaying the entire cheating scheme by saying things like this. You know, our opinion is, um, you know, that this didn't impact the game. Um, We had a good team. Um, We won the World Series, and we'll leave it at that. All right, so, Bill, let me ask you this. He doesn't seem to think that sign-stealing has impacted the game in any way, And I don't think there's another person that I've run across that agrees in any way, shape, or form with what Jim Crane was trying to sell yesterday in that press conference. 
No, it was terrible. And and I, I tweeted out at the time when I when I saw that clip that Houston PR people, and again, I hate to throw them under the bus because it's a tough job. They're in a tough spot. But who prepped him for this interview? They should have sat him down and said, these are the type of questions that are going to be fired at you. We need to polish up this answer so it's ready to go. And to just sit there and say, well, the World Series ours, and we'll leave it at that. Everybody across baseball suddenly brought out the pitchforks and said, wait a minute, this isn't good enough. I can't blame them. I agree. It's not good enough. No, it wasn't good enough in any way, shape, or form. And if anything, I felt like from a PR perspective, you know, the Astros could have saved everyone an awful lot of time by essentially putting out a statement that said, if you want to assume that a large-scale effort to subvert competition through the use of technology affected in any way the outcome of the game, well, that's on you. That's what that felt like when Jim Crane said that was, well, you can make that assumption, but I'm not going to make the assumption that it had any effect on the game because, hey, we were good at baseball. But why were you good at baseball? Or why were you as good as you are? Which is what I don't think he's quite understanding and I don't know about you, but when I first heard about all of this, you know, the, the punishment came down from the commissioner's office and, you know, Jim Crane immediately fired Jeff Lunau and he fired A.J. Hinch and he said, you know what, we're going to apologize for this and I'm going to get everybody together. I thought, well, I mean, this is a guy that is in the ownership circle, so he's not going to know every single thing that's ever happened, you know, in a clubhouse, for example. I kind of felt bad for him in some ways. It's like, what well, did he get surprised by this? Not knowing all the things that maybe his organization was doing behind closed doors under dark of night and in their, you know, air quotes, dark arts that they had going on with some of the other things. Right. And then this is what he came up with. This is what he went home and came up with and brought two players that are synonymous with Astros baseball in recent years and their brand new manager, Dusty Baker, who essentially also has to come in and basically they hand him a broom and say, hey, help us clean this up. It's a really, really frustratingly ridiculous situation. And the narrative that they're trying to push, nobody's buying. No, and and that's the problem that the players are going to have all season long and maybe even beyond 2020 because every single guy is going to get asked. Now, maybe by the time we get to the regular season, there again, PR people may be like, look, no more questions about what happened in the past. They're not going to answer them. They're going to give you no comment. So yeah. get it all out in spring training. But every time they go to a new city for the first time, every time they go on a road trip, they're going to get asked mm-hmm. because the local media is going to dig in because they're not with them in spring training necessarily. So they're going to dig in and ask these questions. I will give Carlos Correa credit. Yes. Um, I saw I saw his uh his little snippet about two minutes. And people were grilling him, and he answered every question. He said, yeah, you know what? I am embarrassed about this, and I am going to have to face my family and say, yes, I'm embarrassed about what happened, and no, you shouldn't cheat to get where you should go, even though we did. I'm embarrassed by it. He did a good job with his mea culpa, much better than Bregman and some of the other guys have done, and certainly 100 times better than Jim Crane did. No, most certainly, and I think that Correa won himself a lot of points, if you want to call it that, though I don't think too many people are going to necessarily sympathize. If you participated in this, you know, it is what it is, but people seem to be more forgiving, which was a word that was kind of getting thrown around. I know Dusty Baker had a quote I read that said something to the effect of, you know, people always preach forgiveness until they need to be the one doing the forgiving. I think that's an oversimplification of what's going on here, number one. And number two, again, all respect to Dusty Baker, his comments on this thing really don't carry any weight whatsoever because he wasn't involved in this. So he's basically being called in, again, 
to for cleanup on aisle three, basically. And that's his thing. But as far as Correa was concerned, yeah, he was easily the most sincere. And I have a couple quotes. I don't have the uh, audio from him, but speaking to reporters where he said uh, not only did the system not work as well in the postseason because of the multiple signs, and that may have helped out the pitchers somewhat that they were facing. I don't really know about that. I think the jury's still out. But he did say that we feel bad and we don't want to be remembered as a team that cheated to get a championship. And, and that's an actual quote from Carlos Correa. Unfortunately, that's exactly what they're going to be remembered as for an yep. extremely long time. That's never going to change. He went on to say what we did in 2017 was wrong. It's not how we want to be remembered. I'll be honest with you. When we first started doing it, it almost felt like it was an advantage. Let me pause there. It was an advantage. That's the whole point. That's why they were doing it. Uh, he also said it was definitely wrong and definitely wrong, and we should have stopped at the time. But Correa was one of the only people that really went out and said things that just seemed to be having an opinion of it and having any kind of remorse whatsoever. I think George Springer was another one who did. Meanwhile, I think over in Minnesota, you had Marwin Gonzalez speaking about it. Obviously, we heard from Dallas Keiko last week talking about it somewhat, but I'm not asking the pitchers to try to explain all of what the Astros hitters were doing over the last couple of three years, but there were a lot of points that could have been made in yesterday's press conference, and the Astros as an organization really, really swung and missed. Yeah, it, it, just a zero out of ten if you look at how they did. And Correa, you're right. And if people haven't seen, you know, reading them it has a good impact because you can look at the words and you can see it and you say, look, this this guy looks like, again, talking off the cuff. He's thought about what yeah. he needed to say. But if you watch it, and I'm sure you saw him standing there in the gaggle of reporters and getting grilled, you kind of got the idea that he really did feel remorseful or he is an incredible actor because I totally bought that he was like, man, we should not have done this, and I feel awful about it. Way more than Alex Bregman, way more. I mean, not even at all. Jim Crane, zero remorse whatsoever at all. For him to say, we've got the World Series title, and we'll leave it at that. Well, no, we're not going to leave it at that. We need more than that. You, you can't just get away with this and think that everything is going to be okay. And I've actually had, there are some people here uh, locally in D.C. that when this originally came out, they were kind of like, hey, you know what? Yes, it was an advantage, but they just apologized, move on. And they weren't digging their heels in as far as like really, really going after the Astros. Those people have done a 180 yeah. and have been, and, and I'm sure it's the same way in Atlanta, in Chicago, other cities as well, where the reporters and people that cover this originally were like, let's, let's just see what the reaction is and we'll go from there as mm -hmm. far as how they respond to this. And now that they have, they are completely dead set. And I even heard a couple of guys saying, you know what? Take their name off of it. Just take, just yeah. vacate 2017 altogether. And obviously the commissioner's office doesn't want to do that. But if at whatever, however they were operating when they put together this report and offering the players immunity and in order to get the information they needed to get, that's a decision that we're going to be able to look back on and second guess for as long as we discuss this. And it's one that really was never going to allow for the punishment to have any real teeth because yeah, you suspended a manager and a general manager. And then, yeah, their owner of the club fired those two men. But you didn't hit the Astros where it hurts, which is in the pocketbook, because you can only find them $5 million. There were $30 right. million in player bonuses that went out for winning the World Series, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, beyond that, even if that figure is a little bit high, they made 
well in advance of $100 million or above $100 million in the overall value of the team as a result of winning the championship. So they were, in essence, able to print money and make their business more valuable. And the way in which they did it was cheating to win the World Series. Now, I want to play some more audio from Jim Crane in just a moment, but he really, yesterday, did himself and his franchise an incredible disservice with the kinds of things that he was saying. We already heard the uh, World Series is ours quote, and I think that's what it's coming to be known as, uh, but also his stance that we're not going to do anything to the players. Uh, I don't even know where to start with that. I don't know what you could do, I guess, to, to expect them to be disciplined in-house, I think, at this point. If the commissioner's office wasn't going to do anything, it's a little bit silly. But denying that the hitters were using buzzers was a big talking point, of course. I think the jury's still out on that, to be honest with you. I don't know if you can believe people if they're just going to go out and present to you misinformation at the very best, which is what's happened here. But really fascinating that Crane was leaning on the commissioner's report so much and then making a vow that this will never happen again on my watch. That was one of the most hollow and ridiculous things. Of course it's not going to happen again on your watch. It should have never happened to begin with, and I'm not sure that he was, quote-unquote, on the watch if this was the kind of stuff that was going on and was able to happen for years under his roof. Jim, sign stealing is a distinct advantage for the hitter. So how is it that it doesn't affect competition? So then what are you guys apologizing for? Um, We're apologizing because we broke the rules. But isn't sign stealing a distinct advantage for the hitter, so it doesn't automatically impact competition? It it, it could possibly do that. It could possibly not. Okay, guys, we're going to wrap up. Thank you, Dusty. Thank you, Jim. That was Marley Rivera of ESPN asking that question. And as you heard, the Astros PR staff, who were really on top of (laughs) wrapping things up when it came to the end of that press conference, it's been a bad year for them, the Astros PR staff. You had the Verlander incident, you know, blocking a reporter from talking to him after a game. And then, of course, you had yelling at a female reporter. These guys cannot get a win. And it's in large part because they are doing the wrong thing and then cannot get out of their own way. And whoever gave Jim Crane the advice to do this little publicity stunt that he did yesterday, it was terrible advice. It came off completely the opposite of anything that the Astros needed when it came to accountability. And you can trace it all the way back to the fact that they were handed punishment that did not fit the crime. And I think, Grant, too, you have to look at it, and we don't know because neither one of us have that kind of money or that kind of power or um, have ever had that kind of money and power. I'm wondering if PR people, as I think back, said earlier in the show that they have had a tough time and they've done a terrible job. But thinking about it, maybe Crane has just said, I got this. I don't need your talking points. I got this. I know how to handle this because probably his entire business career, he's been the guy that's been able to kind of bully his way through things and been able to, and and nothing ever happens to him because he's the guy at the top of the food chain. And now he's finding out that it's just not that easy to dismiss these things and be like peasants. You'll forget about it. We're not worried about it. This is our thing because the more and more people that start making noise in the media and asking questions and his reaction is this bad and poorly done, the more you wonder if Major League Baseball isn't going to look at it again and be like, 
man, we, we got to do something else. I don't know what it is, but we can do something else because this guy just can't get out of his own way. And what are they going to be able to do is, is going to be the other question. And then, as we asked initially when this whole thing came down and MLB is still investigating the Boston Red Sox, you can't hand Boston a worse sentence, I guess, if you want to call it that. Then you just handed the Astros this close together. It's not like we're talking about, well, remember 10 years ago when this happened? Well, you knew, and now it's going to be worse for you. This was in consecutive seasons, and these are consecutive investigations. So I'm really fascinated to see, just based off of all of the backlash that's coming from the punishment and from the way the Astros are handling this now and from the way that this is rippling through the game and through every clubhouse and through every fan base and everyone is talking about this. And even if you're sick of hearing about it, this is not going away anytime soon because this did so much damage, I think, to the sport that – you know, we could try to unpack the steroid era for years and years, I'm sure, and we have been actually for a couple of decades now. But yep. to me, and this is just something that I was thinking about because we're 100 years removed from it, this is our generation's Black Sox scandal. This yeah. is as big or bigger than the Black Sox scandal was in terms of really drawing the ire of the sport and a really unsavory element was at work and could do damage to the integrity of the game. Much like the Black Sox scandal did that, this sign-stealing scandal and the manner in which that the Astros were able to gain that advantage and ultimately win a World Series out of this, they're going to be looked at the same way that the Black Sox are looked at. The difference is nobody got thrown out of baseball for life in terms of the players in this case. In fact, it was quite the opposite. It will be interesting to see, and we've had the discussion about the Hall of Fame, uh, obviously, Pete Rose and all those things that go along with it. It will be interesting to me when the first of these guys, and we're a long way from it. We're many years from this happening. Oh, I guess Carlos Beltran is right there. Um, But it'll be interesting to see the other guys, Alex Bregman's and and Correa and all them, when they retire and they're eligible, will this be held against them? Will people not want to vote for them? Yeah. Beltran's going to be your first big test case here. And the fascinating yep. thing about him is he's kind of ended up being the bag man for this whole thing. I mean, this has been laid at his feet. There was a Wall Street Journal report that came out, I believe, this past week that pretty much pointed the finger at Beltron for coming in, for uh, really advancing this entire plan, working, in, I guess, in conjunction with Alex Cora as well, to the point where other members of the Astros team didn't really, they felt helpless to stop it. That was the verbiage that really jumped out to me. At no point, in my opinion, in a room full of alpha males and athletes that are out there competing, is one guy going to be able to tell the other 24 guys what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, and make a bunch of people do something wrong that they don't want to do. Not 24 of them. You know what I'm saying? I, I, that just doesn't yeah. ring true to me. Now, there's a lot of you know, clubhouse code and different things that I understand you know, need to be handled that way. And are handled that way and stuff we've never heard about and we'll never hear about that just never sees the light of day. But this thing doesn't fall in that category. And it's extended all the way over here to Atlanta. I have a lot of people talking about, you know, Brian McCann and what his role was and uh, the whole thing about if good people do nothing and allow bad things to go on, you know, you have to question, you know, how good are these people? What ultimately is their legacy? What role does this play on how we view these players as well? And in that report, McCann reportedly asked for this to stop in, in terms of going up to Beltron and trying to get this whole thing to this sign stealing thing to go away or just stop happening, whatever you want to call it, to put an end to it. And clearly that didn't happen. 
the other thing is that Carlos Beltran left in 2017, but the sign stealing did not stop then. So it's not as simple as blaming it on Carlos Beltran. And right. it, this has done a number on his legacy. I don't know what legacy he's going to have now because no longer is he going to be viewed as just, hey, one of the best switch hitters of his generation and a surefire Hall of Famer. Now he's viewed as a central figure in a black eye for baseball that we're still untangling the mess that it made. Yeah, and he will be. It's going to be interesting to see because he's a borderline Hall of Famer probably. Oh, he was I mean, he was a no-doubt Hall of Famer in my yeah. book for what he did as a switch hitter statistically. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how much this carries through. Will it still impact him three, four, five years from now when he's does. when he's on that ballot? I definitely think it does. And it's sad to know that an entire legacy worked for for so long can go away that fast, but that's the nature of these things, and that is the size of the scandal as well, which is incredible yep. in its scope. And again, we still haven't gotten everything that's come out of the Boston team in 2018 and the investigation of that, of which you know Cora is going to be in the in the middle of that. And can you punish him worse than you punished everybody else? If you're labeling Carlos Beltran as the mastermind of the whole thing, and he didn't get banned from baseball for life, then can you ban Cora for life simply because he took what was working in Houston and took it to Boston? I don't know. Yeah, I think Cora ends up getting the same thing as A.J. Hinch. He's just not allowed to work uh, for the year. Yeah. So he'll be suspended for 2020, and somebody will pop, you know, probably take a chance on him in 2021 because he did a decent job there in Boston. Now, the argument will be how good of a job did he do right. or would he have done if they hadn't been doing this. But I'm not sure from everything that I've read, and, and again, we won't know until it comes out, I don't know that the Red Sox level of of using the technology rose to – the same level that Houston was doing. Houston seemed to be in this thing deep. Um, I'm not sure the Red Sox had a trash can going on. I haven't heard right. anything or seen anything right. that they had that type of stuff going on. So I don't think it'll be as bad for the Red Sox as it was for Houston. Yeah, we're going to find out, obviously, what the commissioner's report is able to unearth. And I would assume if it's run the same way that the Astros one was, if they've interviewed players, then guys aren't going to be punished individually. And again, we kind of go back to what precedent did they set with the punishment for this, and from day one, from minute one that I read that, I just felt like it was not enough to send the necessary message. And clearly, you've got the Astros owner parading across uh, uh, in a press conference saying, hey, you know, we won the World Series, so we'll just leave it Christ. at that. I don't think that's anything that the commissioner's office or anybody in baseball really wanted to hear coming out of that press conference was, yeah, we won the World Series. We're good. We're going to leave it at that. It's just so... Bad. I mean, again, we've used terms like ridiculous and absurd and everything else. It's just it's mind blowing to think that somebody hasn't got to him and said what you said is patently ridiculous. You've got to go out there and change or apologize or something because everybody is killing this franchise over it. And he just doesn't seem it like it came out of his mouth like that's exactly what he's going to say at the next cocktail party when he's with all of his other owners is, hey, we won, we got the trophy, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, and that kind of attitude, I guess, if you want to call it that, was anything but what I was expecting when I heard initially that he was going to call for some accountability, there were going to be apologies, and this was going to be handled. And we all knew that nobody was going to be able to stand on that stage and apologize and make the whole thing better. But you thought maybe it'd be that first step toward being at least accountable for recognizing what you've done and what it's done to the sport, how it's impacted careers, how it's impacted the opposition. Even though, I mean, the fans are ultimately huge losers in this, if you want to think about it that way, because 
of what it did for not just the opposing fans who lost these games, you know, lost the World Series in the case of the Dodgers, but the fans of Houston, if you win a title, and, and I've, I've seen people tweet me and say, well, if we win a World Series, I don't care how we do it. And my answer to that is, yes, you do. Because you don't right. want this. You, you don't want this to be the way that your title is looked at because what if you really won? You know, and, and that's, yeah. it, we could get really theological with all of this stuff and whatnot and uh, the ethics and the morality of, of this whole decision. And that, and that obviously is at the center of this whole thing. But I know you and I don't want to be sitting here talking until Sunday. But <laughs> there's a lot of things that are just so wrong with the way that Jim Crane, in particular, has now put himself as a central figure in almost a, uh, like you said, well, what are you going to do about it? What can be done about it? Nothing. Okay, well, let's just move on. Because they would love everybody to move on, but I just don't think that's going to be something that happened. And I know you've seen kind of across baseball, there's been a lot of reaction to this. Uh, again, we could sit here and play 50,000 clips of every player as they roll across with their comments about it. I saw Cody Bellinger said that, hey, not only were we cheated out of the World Series, but Altuve cheated Aaron Judge out of an MVP award. And you've got... Uh, Mike Rizzo of the Washington Nationals, they beat the Astros in the World Series, but he's essentially said, I'm not going to be happy with how they've handled this whole thing until they admit that they've cheated. And going back to the clip we heard earlier when he said, we're uh, uh, apologizing for breaking the rules, you cheated. What is the difference? I would love to have been sitting in that gallery so I could say, Mr. Crane, would you please explain the difference between breaking the rules and cheating? Would you please shed some light on that so that we can understand what it is that you're really apologizing for, and whether or not you recognize the actions that were taken by your team. And, and he probably wouldn't be able to do it. And it's it's fascinating that the more that they talk and certain players, again, we've talked about Correa and all these guys and now the ownership, but I'm going to be interested to see if the players take any type up, and I hate to say it, but some of these guys better not dig in yeah. The first first time around. And I don't and I don't I don't root for that. I don't think that's necessarily that needs to be a part of the game where right. you're throwing it at the guy's head or whatever it is. But I tell you what, there are guys that are playing major league baseball right now that do think that that's the way mm-hmm. things need to be done. And I bet you're gonna see some guys, there's gonna be a lot of tension, especially Houston, New York, Houston, uh, you know, if LA, whenever they yeah. you know, get together, interleague, if it's if it's coming down the pike. I mean there are going to be some guys that are going to have to take some fastballs probably off the, the ribs before all this goes away. And again, I don't, I am not in favor of that because I think you're throwing something 95, 100 I agree. at somebody, pinpoint control or not. That's dangerous. But there are guys that will do it. And I guarantee you, some of these guys are going to get hit this year. I saw some over unders on Astros hitters and the number of times hit by pitch in 2020, some bets, if you will, that you can make. And I think Alex Bregman led the way. The over-under for him was 10.5. Nobody else was in double digits. But, again, he's going to get hit by some pitches because it just happens over the course of a season. But, as you mentioned, we're going to see the tone set really early. And there's a lot of unhappy people out there, and for good reason. You know, whether it was losing out on some individual accolades, losing out on a playoff series in the case of anybody Houston beat all the way to the World Series. And, you know, we've talked about Clayton Kershaw just getting another – round thrown on him for what's been a disappointing October career, admittedly. But you have to wonder. Now you have to ask those questions. And also, just the whole can of worms of maybe they weren't cheating the same way they were cheating at home when they were on the road, but they had to be doing something on the road as well. So 
being able to sit back as the owner of the Houston Astros and say that, well, we were great anyway, so we were basically, it, we deserved that World Series is what he's telling us. That is some galaxy brain level lunacy that he was pitching out yesterday. And I think he totally missed the mark. And I don't think anybody was going to accept that any way, shape, or form. And it didn't do them any favors. And the Astros brand in general is going to be damaged for a long, long time because of the actions of these guys. And uh, the way that this has been handled by not just Major League Baseball, but of course now the Houston Astros franchise, uh, accountability might have been a word that we were talking about when this whole press conference thing was going to come about. It's not a word we're talking about today in a good fashion. I know that. No, not at all. It, it'll be interesting to see once they start playing. And, you know, you remember Houston and Washington actually share yeah. a complex yeah. for spring training. So I'm sure, uh, at least here locally, we're going to get a ton of stories about how things go, the interaction with those teams and everything else. So, um, again, I don't know that Crane will will suck it up and come out and say, man, I, I completely misread the room and I'm sorry and it's not what I meant. And I don't think he's going to do something like that, but no. it's somebody from Houston. And it can't be Dusty Baker. It's got to be somebody that was involved in it. Has to come out and really, really put an apology out there and, and, and get them back on the side of at least people go, okay, at least they understand what they did was wrong. Because right now, people don't believe that. Yeah, and, and I think it's a real shame on a larger level thing as we put a bow on this for the week that – you know, a lot of us were excited about getting back to baseball and having, you know, baseball. And, and I'm still excited about it, but I'm really ready to stop hearing about this. But I'm also really keyed in on the reality that this thing is not going away anytime soon and that this has really changed the scope of the way that a lot of folks are looking at the baseball season in general. You can still get excited about your team. I'm sure there's still going to be Astros fans. I've seen some of them on Twitter that really feel like, all right, well, what else do you want from us? You know, we've been dragged for a while, so let it go. People are just not going to let it go. But, you know, this is the time of year I really look forward to each and every year, and this doesn't really take away from it, so to speak, but I could certainly do without all this. But then again, we're sitting here because this was something that has happened and has affected the sport, and we're going to have to untangle it for a while. But uh, lost in all of that, Bill, I'm, I'm happy to say not only is it a Valentine's Day weekend, so a lot of folks can enjoy that, but uh, happy pitchers and catchers as well. We had that going on yes. this week. and. I don't mind that. Exhibition baseball is only about a week away, too. Yeah, no, it's, it, again, I think once the games get started, we can actually start talking about that stuff. This is going to still be on the back burner, and there's still going to be things going on with it, but at least we're going to have baseball coming up, real, actual baseball in the next week or so, and then we'll be able to start talking about who looks good in spring training, yeah. who doesn't, and all that stuff. And what the Astros want is just to kind of, for this to fade away. I don't think it's going to go away entirely, mm -hmm. but at least we'll have other things to talk about. No, it'll be welcome distractions for the rest of us. For the Astros, there's going to be a few more sleepless nights ahead in their future. Bill, as always, I appreciate your time. I hope we have something uh, a little bit more fun to talk about than trying to break down a, a really ill-gotten press conference. But, uh, yeah, baseball's right around the corner. We're going to have some actual games, some real baseball activities going on, and I uh, look forward to talking about all that with you very soon. Absolutely. Appreciate it again. I hope everybody has a great weekend. All right, that'll do it for this episode of From the Diamond. Remember, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. Also, connect on social media on Twitter, at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, and Bill is at Bill Rowland. On Instagram, at FromTheDiamond, no underscore on that one. I'm at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. And you can find everything over at FromTheDiamond.com, including every episode of the show and my Braves positional preview series 
All five parts are up there. So if you're excited about pitchers and catchers and just want to start learning just a little bit about who's in Braves camp this year, that would be a good place to start. It's my Braves positional preview series, and it is there at fromthediamond.com. Also, just a quick reminder, if you're in the Atlanta area on Tuesday and can stop by Dale Murphy's restaurant over by Cumberland, not far from Truist Park, you can catch me on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. That's over at Murph's. We're going to be having like a hot stove gathering, so to speak. Uh, just a baseball panel discussion will be myself, Jim Powell, Bill Shanks, and Dale Murphy, of course, will be there emceeing this event. Really looking forward to talking baseball with those guys. So February the 18th, that's a Tuesday night, 7 p.m. If you want more info on that, you can find it at eatatmurphs.com. And if you're interested in making reservations, 770-612-3356 is the number to get in touch with Murphs and reserve your spot for that panel discussion on Tuesday night. I appreciate, again, Bill Rowland checking in so we could talk about the Houston Astros and a couple of other things. And also appreciate you for listening to From the Diamond each and every week. Be sure to tell a friend, likes and shares and ratings and reviews, all that good stuff is appreciated, and I do thank you very much. Look forward to catching all of you on the next episode as we talk a little bit more about what we hope will be spring training baseball, and we'll do it on From the Diamond next week. That'll do it for this show. Until next week, I'm Grant McCauley, and we will catch you next time. So long, everyone.